Fado, Fado, a long time ago, in the time of fighting men and gods, there was a tale, they told it well, and it is remembered against the odds. In the kingdom of Connacht, in the fortress of Cruachan, a contented peace was settling over the royal bedchamber. Alil, consort to Maeve, the she-king of Connacht, smiled over, pleased with himself for having once not only satisfied but apparently exhausted his wife. Maeve's eyes were closed and she was just drifting off to sleep, but she heard a rumble coming from Alil. What was that you're saying? I was just commenting that you're a lucky woman, Maeve, to have married a man such as I. Maeve rolled to her side and opened one eye. Alil was the fourth husband she had taken, and thus far the only one to have achieved her three conditions. Maeve would not have a husband who was not as brave as her, would not have a husband who was not as generous as her, and would not have a husband who had so much as an ounce of jealousy about him. Alil had satisfied these three demands, and satisfied the other demands Maeve made of her consort. But something told Maeve that this was not what Alil was speaking of. Go on then. Tell me, what makes me such a lucky woman to have you as my husband? Alil should have known better, but perhaps it was tiredness or perhaps it was the drunkenness of pleasure. But his tongue seemed looser than usual, and his words unwise. Well, you have to admit, Maeve, I am quite a catch. Son of the High King of Tara, brother to the King of Leinster, and I brought with me much wealth, and you know what they say, it's a lucky woman to have a rich husband. Maeve nodded. Indeed, Alil, you are the son of a king, the brother of a king, but I can not only claim a royal lineage, but a throne in my own right. I am not only queen, but she king of Connacht. And you, dear husband, are consort only by my grace. It would have been wise for the conversation to end there, but sadly Alil was not only as brave and as generous as his wife, but at times could be as stubborn too. Queen, she, king, whatever title you prefer, Maeve, but you cannot deny that the trade agreements I brought with me between your kingdom and my brother's kingdom have greatly benefited Connacht, not to mention my own personal wealth which has been added to the royal coffers. You seem to forget, Alil, that I was rich long before I married you, but let's settle this matter. Let us see who indeed possesses more personal wealth, and if I am a lucky woman to have a rich husband, or if you are a lucky man to have a rich and powerful wife. Maeve rose from the bed, went to a chest, and took out a golden cup, the rim chased with silver. She threw it down upon the marriage bed. Alil himself rose, went to a chest and took out a cup of similar wealth, and threw it on the bed also. Maeve took out golden plates, and Alil matched her. Maeve emptied her jewel box upon the bed, bracelets and hair ornaments, and a thick golden torque. But Alil, he matched these as well. Alil took out a cloak of rich blue, embroidered with silver threads, and threw it down. But Maeve, she produced one of green, chased with golden thread. Swords and shields they produced, and threw them on the mounting heap of treasure. 
They called for servants and more finery was brought. Horns of ivory, harps of oak, brooch pins set with rubies. Naked the royal couple stood before the glittering horde, but each was still equal matched. Alil called for his hounds to be brought, but for each bitch and each dog Maeve had the like. Maeve had her horses brought out and the chariot, but her chariot was matched by Alil's, as was every mare and every stallion. Then they began to compare livestock, flocks of sheep, droves of pigs, herds of cows, and they counted the milk that each heifer gave, but still they were equal. But there was one. There was one thing Alil owned that Maeve could not match. Finvenic, the great white stud bull of Connacht. The bull's back was so broad that it was said that a group of lads could play a game of hurling upon it, though no group had ever been found brave enough to try such a thing. The bull was known not only for its size, but for its ferocity and fertility. Any heifer studded with the white bull was certain to produce strong, healthy calves. The bull was the pride of Connacht, but its ownership was a slightly murky question. The bull had been born to a heifer in Maeve's herd, but seeming to take some affront at being owned by a woman. It had wandered into a field of Alil's cows and refused to move. And so it had remained with Alil's herd, though some would argue that it technically belonged to Maeve. This bull was the one difference between their fortunes. And with this bull in his herd, Alil could claim to be the richer. The task of counting, and probably the cold air, as at that moment most of his clothing was pinned under a pile of gold, had awakened Alil's better judgment, and he was now beginning to see that this contest could be a problem. The contest had become very public. He tried to settle it by saying that, as the bull had been born into Maeve's herd, though it had chosen to take residence with his, truly they both owned it, and as such, the matter should be seen as a draw. But Maeve was she king of Connacht, and one of the duties of a king is to give fair judgment, and be seen to give fair judgment. And so she shook her head and said, No, husband. The bull is yours, and so I must admit that for now at least you are the wealthier of the two of us. For now, but I swear to you soon into my herd there shall enter a bull equal to yours, perhaps even greater. Alil furrowed his brows. There was, there was no bull in all of Ireland greater than the white bull of Connacht except, except perhaps the Dun Cooley, the brown bull of Ulster. Maeve smiled at Alil, and even as she smiled, messengers from Connacht were making their way to Ulster, to Cooley, to discuss the future of the brown bull. But before we travel to Cooley, let us travel back to Maeve and her family. For as she said, she did come from a royal lineage but her family tree was twisted and bloodied. Maeve was the daughter of Aki Feiglick, one of his many daughters, for he had three, or possibly four, maybe even six, he seemed to view them all as interchangeable. He also had at least three sons, triplets, known as the Findema. Their names were Brees, Nar, and Lothar. 
one of his daughters was called Clothru. Long before Maeve became the she-king of Connacht, Clothru ruled there. Connacht was a strange place with links to the old magic. And at the time Maeve and Clothru lived, the magic and the power of Connacht needed to be wielded in a woman's hands. No man could be king of Connacht unless they were consort to its queen, or as the title sometimes was, she-king. There was, and still is, a lake in Connacht. A lake called Loch Ree. A lake within the centre of the island of Ireland. And in the centre of this lake there is another island. An island called Inish Clothru. And in this island, within a lake, within an island, there is another lake, a special lake, a lake connected to the she-kings of Connacht. Some ritual was performed there. When the ruler entered the lake, within an island, within a lake, upon an island, and were at the very centre, the very heart of all, two she-kings also died there their blood spilt by their own blood. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The three Findema, the three triplet sons, they grew into young men, young men with ambition. They were sons of the High King, princes. But a prince's chief job is to wait until his father dies. And the Findema waited and waited and waited. Their father was growing old, and every winter they hoped that a chill would carry him off. But occupied Lick was strong, and showed no sign of dying, or of stepping down to let his sons take his place. This rankled with them. They felt that they were wasting the best years of their youth waiting for their father to die. And if he wouldn't have the good sense to die on his own, well, then they would help him along the way. The three Thindema, Brees, Nair, and Lothar began to raise an army. They sought out the young sons who, like themselves, were tired of waiting for their fathers to die so that they could take their places. Too long we have waited, they cried. The old should make way for the young, and if they won't go in peace, they will go by force. With their army behind them, the three Findema marched on Tara. Clothru, she, King of Connacht, intercepted them upon their way. She spoke with her brothers, begging them to stop this madness before it was too late. Blood should not shed blood. To kill your own kin, she could think of nothing more appalling. If they continued on this path, if the battle was fought, then either three sons would slay their father, or one father would slay his three sons. But the three Vindema would not be deterred. So Clothru tried another tact. Not one of the three Findema had a son of his own. If they died on the battlefield, their line would be wiped out. A sacred bloodline, a bloodline of kings. The Findema said that this was a risk they were willing to take, but Clothru herself was not. For she could see that her brothers, though young, strong and passionate, did not have the experience of their father and would be annihilated. She promised them that they would have sons who would be kings, that a great dynasty of high kings should spring from them as its source. And with that she took her three brothers into the tent. And that night a child was conceived between the four of them. The next day the battle was fought, 
and just as Clothu had feared, the experience of occupied Lick well outweighed the strength of the Findema. Fathers fought sons, and sons fought fathers. Green fields turned red with blood, and occupied Lick slew his three sons. The bodies of Brees, Nair and Lothar were each hacked into three pieces. Nine months after the battle was fought, Clothru birthed a son, an unusual child, a child with two red stripes across his body, and so he was called Lugadrig Darug, he of the red stripes. But that was not the only unusual thing about the child. For his head and shoulders, to where the first red stripe crossed his body, were the exact image of Brees. Between the two red stripes, from his shoulders to his hips, he was the identical copy of Nair, and from the second red stripe down, from his hips to the toes of his feet, he was identical to Lothar. Lugged was an unusual child. He was a child of three fathers, and he expected that he would one day be High King. He was tutored in the art of war by Cúhullin, but when he placed his palms upon the Leofowl, upon the stone of destiny that was meant to cry out when the rightful king touched it, the stone remained silent. It was said that a king needed to be without blemish, physically perfect in every respect. Perhaps it was the stripes across his body that the stone objected to, or his three fathers, or his incestuous conception. Maybe it was something else altogether. Whatever its reason, the stone did not say. It just stayed silent. Clothru, though, was not deterred by this. She had promised her brothers that from them would spring a dynasty of kings. And so just as she had taken her three brothers into a tent one night, she took Lugged into a tent and conceived another child, Kremthan Niner, and though the Leofol still stayed silent, both of Clothru's sons would go on to become High Kings of Ireland. Clothru's promise to her three brothers, the three Findema, was fulfilled. From them three there sprang a dynasty of High Kings. But Clothru would have one more son, and this son would breathe his first, when she breathed her last. Ferbaid Fearbend. Ferbaid was not born of Clothru, but rather cut from her womb. The child had two horns growing upon his head, hence his name, Fearbend, Horned Man. Fearbaid was cut from his mother's womb as she lay in that lake, within an island, within a lake, upon an island. Clothru's blood fell into that water. The most appalling thing she could imagine had happened. Her blood was shed by one of her own blood. She was killed by her own kin. Some stories say that it was Lugged, her son, who cut her open in revenge for the incest she had inflicted upon him. Other stories say that she was slain by her own sister, by Maeve, the woman who would take her place as she King of Connacht, that Maeve slew her sister an act motivated by Maeve's lust for power and by her lust for revenge against the man who had fathered Clothru's last child. For Furbraid's father was Cahor Mac Nessa, king of Ulster, whom Clothru had wed 
and whom Maeve hated above all others. But the reasons for Maeve's hatred and what happened when her messengers reached Cooley and the Brown Bull. Well, that's just going to have to wait till next time. Well, I hope you enjoyed this first episode of My Telling of the Tawn. I've been borrowing from various sources, some of which you can find in the episode description. This is my version of the narrative, so some of the events might be in a slightly different order, some of the parentage might be slightly debatable, and some of the backstories I've chosen to include, such as in this episode, the story of Clothru, are ones that I've picked and pieced together and may diverge slightly from the more official version. If you have enjoyed, please tune in for the next episode. Uh, subscribe to the podcast where you can hear other stories. You can contact me through social media. We're Tales from the Shadows on the socials and links are in the description. And if you really, really love the podcast, there is a link to the Patreon and patrons of the podcast get a few small rewards. Uh, sometimes it's early episodes, small bonus episodes, or on certain tiers, even artwork. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Emily. Stay safe. Goodbye.